you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 10, starting in the ninth verse. If you've got your Acts journal, same thing. We just met a guy named Cornelius. He was a Roman soldier. He was a Gentile. He was the first non-Jewish person that uh, the book of Acts seems to have kind of wrapped around and has brought into the story of the growing Christian church. And we're going to hear more about him today, but this is a fascinating passage. There's more in this passage than what the words on the page seem to convey. There's so much going on. We could spend a lot of time talking about this one, but we're going we're gonna to jump through these verses, and I'm going to give you uh, kind of the landing spots for where we are because I'm not going to read all of them. I'll try to make sure I let you know where I'm reading as I get there. What's cool, though, is this passage is about everybody. It's about you, and it's about me, and it's about every single person you're ever going to meet in your whole life is included in this passage today. Probably in a surprising way, and maybe for some of you, in a way that you'd never thought about before, and that maybe God will use this passage of Acts to open your eyes a little bit to the people around you. But it's really, really a fun one to look at, and I think about it happening the Sunday before Christmas, and I think God is up to something really cool, because I didn't plan this. I laid this series out, and we've adjusted it at least two times, and this text just happened to fall on this Sunday, and so God is up to something that's really, really cool. So we've just left off with Cornelius the soldier, the Roman, the Gentile, but the guy that was faithful to God. And and God gave him a vision, and in that vision, he gave him a command, and Cornelius acted on the command. He was obedient to what he was told. So we pick up on verse 9, because there's two stories going on at the same time. There's, There's passages about Peter, the disciple who had been with Jesus, and then there's passages about Cornelius, the Roman soldier, the, the, the outsider, if you will. Verse 9, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Interesting passage. Peter's traveling through the desert. It's noon. He's hungry. He goes up on the top level of the house. It's like a flat patio area. They had, they had flat roofs. They weren't peaked like what we're usually used to. And oftentimes they had constructed the home that, that it was a living space. It was an additional living space. But still, it's in the midday sun. Noon, a six hour would be noon. Then there's this word trance. Paul says he went up there to pray. But he fell into a trance. It's a completely different word than what the Bible uses for Cornelius. That was a vision. And the word in Greek that Luke chooses to use is a different word in both cases. It isn't the same. So not the same thing happened here. It was two different things. And this passage comes as an interesting time for me because I've been in a long, ongoing conversation about the word trance. Can, can the word trance possibly have any good or healthy or godly connotation to it? Can it possibly come from a godly place? Or is a trance only something that comes from maybe the devil or from, from excessive drug use or something like that? Is it possible that God can use a trance? And here it is in the, in the book of Acts. Luke talks about a trance. Very much in a godly way. Very much for a godly purpose. A trance can seem like a bad thing. That, that How much does that happen to somebody that you know that you don't question? But here God puts trance 
in the Bible being used in a godly way that's completely different from the word vision. And so if we look them up, the word vision doesn't really help us out much, but the translation from the Greek word for trance really does. It's ecstasis. Ecstasis in Greek. We would get the word ecstasy from that. Ecstatic comes from that. What is ecstatic? It's a, it's a heightened state. It's, it's being brought to a, a place in your mind that's different than where you maybe usually are. And that experience so often in people's minds can only come from drug use. But here all it is is Peter who goes to pray and he falls into a trance. It's God's supernatural power that is way better, way more powerful, way more incredible than any drug or any other experience that we can have. And so maybe you struggle with the word trance, but it's right here. And there's no negative or evil connotation about it at all. It's just that he has a different kind of experience with God. In verse 11, he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Uh, The word sheet might be better translated as sail. Because if we think of a sail, it's something a lot larger than a sheet. And the idea is a very, very large canvas, even, if you will. And on it are all of these creatures. All of these, all of these creatures that the Lord God had created. And he had called good when we read about it in Genesis. But the interesting thing for Peter is, while some of those animals are okay for Jewish people to be around, a lot of them are not. In fact, they're forbidden to eat them. Yet here they were in front of Peter, all of them together. There was no separation. They weren't divided. They weren't split into groups. They're all together on this big sheet or this big sail in one big group. Now, if your mind starts going, I wonder if God's going to start talking about people or what we've done with denominations here. That's a safe direction to go. Because we need to realize there's something much deeper than just animals on a sheet. Verse 13, there came a voice to him, says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. The word kill there is sacrifice. That's important because all of those creatures, when God created them, he deemed to be good. The Bible tells us that. But now, recognizing Peter's hunger in this trance, he says, sacrifice and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. While Peter is in this trance, he is speaking to God. It isn't something that's just completely a dream. He's interacting. And Luke is recording it for us to read. God commands Peter to sacrifice any of the animals of God's creation to satisfy Peter's hunger. Any of them. It's interesting that God takes his good creation and commands Peter to sacrifice any one of his choosing for what God deemed to be his very good creation. Animals were good. All of creation was good. But when God created man and woman, he called that very good. So Peter now is a devout Jew, and he's beginning to be confused. Because he's adamant in his reply that he's never eaten anything that is unclean, right? Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. That matters a lot because Peter is living in accordance with the Old Testament purity laws. There is food that's good and okay to eat, that's clean, and there's food that is not okay to eat, that's forbidden. That's what he's talking about, because Peter recognizes that as a Jewish man, he's been set apart. God's chosen people have been set apart to be different from the other people groups around them. One of those things was they didn't eat the same food that everyone did. 
And yet here God is doing something completely different, and he's doing it in a big way. He just tells Peter, go ahead and choose. Pick from them. Now, now we need to clarify here, when we talk about purity laws, Peter is not making this statement that's adamant that I've never touched anything that's clean or that's common or unclean. He's not talking about a diet. That's a different thing. These are purity laws that God had called the people to. And when we look back with modern eyes, what we realize when we read these obscure Old Testament laws is that God's keeping his chosen people from ingesting spoiled meat and how he tells them to prepare it. He's giving them laws and rules so that they don't get caught up with dangerous microbes or deadly bacteria, things that they had no knowledge or understanding of. But if they followed the laws they would remain healthy and clean. Jump forward to our life today. If we followed the laws that God set before us, our lives would remain healthy and clean. We may not understand all the reasons that God has. We might not like the things that God tells us, but there's always a reason for it. About two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago now, Dater and I started eating clean. And I said it's a, a, a food lifestyle. It isn't a diet. The reason was, about 30 years ago, I had blown out my left knee. I got, I got pinched against the boards playing hockey on Sunday, and then I completely got undercut playing basketball on a Tuesday. Completely destroyed my ACL, MCL, all kinds of stuff. And I had it completely rebuilt. And they said, well, by the next 10 years, you're going to have arthritis. Well, it took about five years, and now here I am all these years later. I uh, think I'm a kid and trying to do something I shouldn't have done, and that was run on the beach. Seems like a simple thing. When you're my age, not such a simple thing. Tore muscles in my legs. Went to the doctor. I said, what do I got to do? Because I don't want to have my knee replaced. He said, well, if you can figure out how to lose about a third of your body weight, and if you can figure out how to keep the inflammation from causing the arthritis, you're set. Then, by the way, write the book. You'll be a billionaire. Didn't write the book, not a billionaire. However, we found somebody that did. We started changing how we were eating, and I had to give up some of the foods I really love. I mean, really love. But I found when I was eating clean and I would eat those foods, it hurt. My knee would go back to hurting. My back would go back to hurting. And and the goal of it wasn't to lose weight, but that kind of went along with it. The goal of it was to have a healthier life so that I was stronger and I didn't need surgery. And I realized that's what God was doing with his people. What God was doing with his people, those purity laws weren't preventing them from having fun. They were preventing them from eating things that weren't good for them that would cause things to happen to their body that wasn't good for their body, like the food, some of it that I love to eat that just isn't good for me at this point in my life. See, God calls his children to be different from other people in the world. God calls us to be different from other people in the world. God's children are to be holy because God is holy. But we have to be careful because that doesn't mean we should think more of ourselves. It doesn't mean that we should think that we're better. It means that we need to understand that God has called us to different standards. Verse 15, and so the voice came to him again a second time, and it says, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken at once up to heaven. This is a revolutionary declaration from God. This idea that suddenly now there is not clean and unclean, common or uncommon, This is the first time God's ever done anything like this. Food has always been clean, which is okay, or unclean, which is forbidden. And there's a line between them. Peter and his people have always been separate from the other people around them. 
They've been separate because of their ethnicity and their religious belief. God had called them to be different, just like God has called you and I to be in the world, but not of the world. We don't tell the people around us they're not as good as we are, but that doesn't mean that we do all of the things that they do. Now, now God is really talking to Peter in a way that Peter understands. We need to recognize that. God says this thing not once, not twice, but three times. Don't call anything common or unclean that God has made. For I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean, Peter says. God says, what God has made clean, do not call common. Three times he says that. That's a theme in Peter's life. Go back a couple of years. Peter had the opportunity to explain to some people who Jesus was and why he followed him. Peter denied Jesus, not just once, denied knowing him, not just twice, denied being a follower of his three times. Three times Peter had a chance to get it right. Fast forward a little bit. Jesus dies. Jesus is raised from the grave. He comes across Peter as he's uh, on the beach on the Sea of Galilee, and he comes to Peter and he wants to restore Peter's confidence. He wants to restore their relationship and send Peter off into ministry because Peter's gone back to fishing again. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, of course I do, Jesus. Jesus says a second time, Peter, do you love me? Of course I do, Jesus. Jesus looks at him a third time and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. And Jesus has a different response for each one of them about Peter living a life of service. Not once, but three times. When God says this to Peter three times, Peter has to be picking up the theme. The same number of times that he denied Jesus, the same number of times that Jesus asked Peter if he loved him and restored him to ministry. Peter heard clearly, but he's confused. What's common and what's not? Un- what's uncommon? What is it about food? Is this about other stuff? Is this really about me being hungry? Verse 17, it says, While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. I love that phrase. He was inwardly perplexed. Have you ever been inwardly perplexed? I'm a little bit simple. I call it confused. Maybe you're someone who's a little bit smarter than I am. and You're inwardly perplexed. But you know, when we get confused and we don't know what something means, that's a great phrase. We can't quite line it up. We can't bring sense or order or bring reason out of it. Inwardly perplexed. And in the midst of trying to understand what God is really saying, Cornelius arrives just as God had said to him. Verse 22. They said to him, Cornelius, a centurion and an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, even though he's a Roman soldier, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in to be his guests. Peter's beginning to make sense. The inwardly perplexed is beginning to get cleared up for him. As a devout Jewish man who is now a believer in Jesus, he had no business inviting a Roman into his home. None whatsoever. And yet because they said God had sent him, he did. So Cornelius, this Roman, this Gentile, comes to a Jew who had always been clean even though he would have understood this Roman man to be unclean. Cornelius would have been one of the people that that Peter would have shared space on planet Earth with, but would have chosen to have nothing to do with. He would have had to listen to him as a soldier, but he wouldn't have chosen ever to spend time with him. But he's beginning to understand, now Cornelius is a believer, just like Peter is. That makes him a brother in Christ. 
This guy who has nothing in common with Peter suddenly has the most important thing in common. Their, their language, their nationality, the religions they grew up with are completely different. But Peter's beginning to recognize they're equal in Christ. Peter and this man who was so different from him. This is radical, world-changing, history-altering stuff. A minute ago, Peter is inwardly perplexed. He's confused. They bring Cornelius to his home. Peter welcomes him in. And he sees that God has made Cornelius clean. Cornelius, the Roman soldier, isn't common. He isn't to be avoided. We need to pause here for a moment and understand what this means to us. It's so easy to to find a church that has people that think like you do. They agree with you, whether it's religion or politics or theology or doctrine or life in general. And then you just make sure you gather more and more people like you. That's not what God calls us to do. That's not what God calls us to do at all. It isn't that we get together with a bunch of people like us. It's that when we get together, we welcome anyone who will come. And Peter is the first one that really begins to understand this. Verse 28, he, Peter, said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit with anyone of another nation. Peter is a Jewish man who has put his faith in Jesus. We would now call him a Christian. He still understands himself as a Jew. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. That confusion that he had has just become crystal clear. God's not just talking about animals. God's talking about people. People aren't common. People aren't unclean. People aren't to be avoided. People are to be loved. Verse 30, Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. He's telling Peter, God spoke to me through a vision. And Peter hears this, and he realizes it's, it's a similar way that God spoke to Peter. God has blessed the Jew and the Gentile in the same way. God has appeared in a way that doesn't happen in normal conversation to both this Roman soldier and this devout disciple of Jesus. God has blessed both of them with his presence in the same way. And Peter realizes everything is different. So around here, when you hear me say that we will love and we will welcome and not judge people, we'll, we will love and not condemn or criticize them, we will honor you, we will be grateful that you're here. We're not going to gossip about you. It's because God has created you, and the least that we can do is open the doors and love you. But so often, that's not what happens. 2,000 years of the church, we still haven't figured out how to get this lesson right. Because here's the thing. Everybody who walks in the door of the open door is for some reason here for God's purpose. And God, in His way, has brought all of us here. He's called all of us to be here. That's why you hear me talk about divine appointments. You maybe chose to be here. Maybe you're here because someone made you come this morning. I don't know, but God sets divine appointments with His people. And God works in ways and moves in ways through people and through life that, in ways that we can't even imagine so that we can hear the life-changing love of Jesus when we need to. And so when someone makes the decision to walk through the doors of this place, we're going to love them. We're going to welcome them. We're not going to judge or criticize or gossip. 
So that makes every one of us, whether you're a first-time visitor or a long-time member, you are not common. You are not unclean. You are a child of God. And you need to understand that. It took Peter a while to make sense because he didn't see ever in his life God working that way. But it didn't take him very long to understand that people aren't unclean. Now, now your past, maybe there's part of your past that's kind of messy. Maybe part of your past you feel like is unclean. Well, that's what we call sin. But your past can be just that. It can be your past. If you allow Jesus to change you, your future can be whatever you allow God to do in you. He created you. He can lead you in whatever direction that he wants to if you will only follow him. God who created can create in you something you've never even imagined. And around here, we're not going to put limits on that. We're not going to say that that God can't do you in you tomorrow because of something that you did yesterday. You are not common and you are not unclean. On Friday, we're going we're gonna to gather for three worship services, 133 and 430. We're going to celebrate a most unremarkable birth of history's most extraordinary child. Everything about Jesus' birth almost shouldn't have happened. It should have been forgotten to the pages of history over 2,000 years ago. And yet 2,000 years later, we still celebrate the birth of the Christ child. You talk about a common, unclean birth, that was it. And yet there was nothing about him that is ordinary or common. This child that grows into a man who taught us to live, if only we will follow him. He gave his life in obedience to his father so that we would know completely and truly what love is. What Jesus did on the cross was to show us what love for another person is. Jesus did that for you. And if you just understand and believe and accept That passage of Scripture is truth. You then know what it is to be truly and completely loved. You know that you are not just common or unclean. It, It is in Him and through Him that we're made clean of the messes of our lives that our sin commits. Our sin can make a mess of our lives. Our attitudes can make a mess of our lives. The way that we talk about other people trying to make ourselves feel better can make a mess of our lives and the lives of a whole lot of others. In Jesus, our sins are forgiven so that we can love others and treat them in a most uncommon way. As a child of God who's been saved by Jesus, you have everything that you need to treat people differently, to treat them in a way that they don't expect, to treat them in a way that our world would call most uncommon. Maybe they would just call you weird. But you have the opportunity to treat people in a way that shows the love of Jesus. And we can do that. We can really and truly love Jesus, love people, and teach people to love Jesus because of what Jesus did for us. It seems kind of strange in the week of Christmas where we're about to celebrate his birth to also be talking about his death. But you know what? They are hand in hand. And because of who he is and what he did for you and how much he loves you, You can love Jesus and love people and then help teach people to love Jesus right where you are, whether that's starting with your spouse or your parents or your children, maybe the people that you work with, maybe the neighbor that you don't like or the person down the hall in the office that you really can't stand. Maybe it's a family member you haven't talked to forever. You can share the love of Jesus with people all over. You can show them 
the love of Jesus in how you treat them every single day. You can show them in how you talk to them and how you don't. Because your voice and your attitude and your lack, your love or your lack of love gives the message to people of whether you find them common and unclean or most extraordinary and loved. So what will you do? Will your life show them Jesus in your words, in your actions, in your attitudes? What will you do like I have seen so many times in Christian churches? Will you say you believe one thing, but then will you treat people as nothing but common? Nothing but ordinary, nothing but people who need to, need to be moved past. How will you treat them? Will you show them the love of Jesus in everything that you do or not? And if you've got a hard time trying to decide what to do, I'm going to leave you with this simple question. What would Jesus have you do? Go back to what Jesus did for you. What would Jesus have you do? Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for Peter and Cornelius, two very, very different men who experienced the, the extraordinary power of your presence in very different ways from what many of us ever have the chance to, to know you. But God, thank you that Luke recorded this in the book of Acts. God, thank you that because of Jesus, you don't see us as common or unclean. We are the Gentiles like Cornelius was. And because your love for us, you have included us in Jesus' purpose here on earth. God, help us to believe that, help us to accept it, and help us to live as a result of it. Help us to live the love of Jesus every day, everywhere we go, with everyone we ever meet. God, in, in a moment like this, none of us would ever want to be guilty of treating someone as common or treating them as unclean. And it's so easy for us to do. Help us to realize who we were before we met Jesus. That, that we were those unclean people who were dying in our sin. And it's only because of him that we have a chance to be a light in the darkness of this world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In the midst of all of this holiday that, that is Christmas but has become a holiday in everything but Christmas, I want to encourage you this week. This week, like every other week of your life, you're going to have hundreds of opportunities to be the light of Jesus for people who are dying in darkness. You're going to have an opportunity to share truth when they're living in a world of lies, and you're going to share hope in the midst of their hopelessness. You've got the opportunity to show them Jesus. Will you tell them about Jesus? Will you invite them to church? Will you be the light in the darkness, the hope in the hopelessness? You can say no. Or you can do the thing that maybe is a little bit uncomfortable. And you can give them a little bit of the Jesus that gives you hope and light and life. Maybe the best thing you can do is to invite someone to your church home to celebrate Christmas with us. They're going to have a chance to hear about Jesus here. We're going to talk about Jesus and how much he loves us. And then we're going to talk about that other guy that's kind of taken over and stolen the show for a lot of us and our kids. Good old Santa Claus, St. Nick, Chris Kringle himself. We're going to look at the two of them side by side and we're going, to, we're going to realize the number that the world's been doing on us for all these years. Santa, Santa might be the poster boy for the commercialism of Christmas, but Jesus is still the one and only reason for the season of Christ. Us.